Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast that is joining the revolution against all shame. I hope you're well. I'm all right. I actually had quite a nice day for once. <laughs> yeah. I started shooting Legendary Season 3 and uh, Legendary is a show I do. It's on HBO Max and it's just a joyous celebration of the world of ballroom and voguing. And I'm very, very lucky to be a part of it. And today's filming was exceptional. And I just feel very lucky to work with the people I work with. And I love being in a room with lots of people. Um, even though it makes me anxious, it's just really nice. It's something that I just, I don't think I'll, I hope I'll never take for granted again after the last two years. I hope that you've been in a room with some people and that you're okay and that, oh God, you either haven't had the Omicron or if you have, you're over it and it wasn't too bad and it didn't give you long COVID. I'm sorry that we're still saying the word COVID. I'm sorry I said it here. I'm going to try to say it less here as much as possible. But anyway, I'm just sending you lots of love and warm wishes and hoping that whatever's going on, I hope it gets better and better every single day. Now, I'm trying, as I said last week, to bring important and inspiring episodes to you as much as possible. And today's episode is no exception. I have the excellent Aubrey Gordon, known online as your fat friend to many of us, and uh, Michael Hobbs who both have a podcast together called The Maintenance Phase Pod. And it is so, so good and so important. And I'm a big fan of that podcast. And I think what they talk about on it is kind of anti-diet culture, but with facts and figures and history and, and so many great statistics. And they really, really, really get into the weeds of all these different fad diets and the history of diet culture and the history of the BMI. And they get into it in a way that arms you with facts that will just help you destroy any argument that you happen to be in regarding diet culture. So I picked their brain today about all of the different things they've been learning while making their podcast. And we had just such illuminating conversations, which I think right now are the most important because the top of the year so therefore the diet industry must just prey on us and terrify us about leaving the house and post-pandemic and beach body ready and sorry for eating something at Christmas ready I'm just horrified and I'm known to complain about the diet culture that surrounds us and now I feel more prepared and armed than ever before having spoken to these two excellent people about everything they know, all of their experiences regarding this terrible part of our society. I do want to offer a trigger warning that we discuss fat phobia and experiences of fat phobia in this episode. And so if that's something you find traumatic, maybe step away for now. But generally, they are just joyous bundles of of hope 
and light and information and unity. And they're just so special. So I think you're going to love this episode. Aubrey Gordon's actually been on this podcast before. An excellent, excellent episode. Um, I think that was uh, last year or perhaps the year before. I can't remember because time is just uh, doesn't exist anymore. But please go back and listen to that because it's also fucking brilliant. And I cannot recommend her, or hers and Michael's podcast or Aubrey's book enough. Follow everything they do. Love this episode. Please send me all of your thoughts, all the different ways it blew your fucking mind the way it did mine. I can't wait to chat to you about it. This is the excellent Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. Michael, welcome to Iway. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm really good. Michael, are you alive? We're doing great. Um, it's so nice to be able to meet you, Michael. Aubrey, of course, uh, you're the love of my life and you've been on this podcast before, uh, where I think I proposed or I meant to, um, but uh, it was an astonishing reaction to your episode. And so I'm really thrilled to have you back. And you had released a book at the time and were starting out the podcast that I'm now Uh, inviting you here both to talk about, um, and that's called The Maintenance Phase. Before we start, can you please break down what your podcast is about and how it came to be? I mean, this mostly came from the fact that I was looking at the health and wellness charts on one of the podcast apps, and I don't really know why I was doing this, but I was looking and I noticed that all of the podcasts were how to get 10,000 steps, how to lose 20 pounds for your wedding. It was all things that leaned into the health and wellness industry being on your side and acting in good faith. And there was there was nothing there that was pointing out that easily 90% of the health messages that we receive as Americans are not true. And the industry is really shady in a lot of ways. And it just felt like uh, nobody seems to be talking about this in any way that anyone's really paying attention to. And so I called up the smartest lady writer that I knew. And I asked her if she wanted to do a podcast with me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, we sort of dug in on this sort of set of ideas around like, what would it look like to do some long form storytelling about the history of the BMI or the president's physical fitness test or the history of snake oil, which was a real thing. And it worked. Whoops. Sorry, worked. everybody. Twist. twist. <laughs> yeah, twist. Um, and uh, we recorded six episodes just to see how it would go and sort of uh, dropped those late last year. And the uh, response was really, really significantly uh larger than we thought it was going to be. That's for sure. That's for sure. And it's a kind of war on disinformation, isn't it? This this podcast is like, it's you bring facts, you bring statistics, you bring history. Mm-hmm. It's very, very thoroughly and um, broadly researched, which I think is incredibly helpful because whenever you are trying to take on the multi, multi-billion dollar evil kind of, it's now called the wellness industry, but really like a lot of that is the weight loss industry. Yeah. Um, people are very, very resistant to it being criticized. They're very, very defensive of it. You often um, in the podcast talk about some people like 
fat phobia not being intentional it's just being something a kind of product of what they've absorbed from society um it's hard to be able to fight something that is so instilled in our western culture in particular and so you really need hard science and facts to be able to to kill them with the facts and i really appreciate the fact that you are providing this service is it a lot of work yes I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> the it's, totally, bear. it's totally a lot of work. I mean, we've there have been a couple of times when we've delayed. Uh, I've delayed recordings because I'll be like, I haven't interviewed enough people. I don't quite have this part of this concept totally nailed down. Or Mike will delay a release of an episode that happened one time because we wanted to play it for some more epidemiologists and make sure that we were really, really getting everything right and including their feedback um so yeah it feels it feels really important uh certainly to me to like get it right and to say accurate things because there's so much inaccurate stuff out there not because anyone is necessarily trying to like you know lead you down the garden path but because science communications is hard uh and because a lot of what we consider are sort of like you know, free-floating scientific knowledge out in the world really just comes from marketing of diets and wellness products and that kind of thing. Can we just, because I really want everyone who listens to this podcast to listen to your podcast, because I think it should be like mandatory listening. I think it should mm-hmm. be in schools and universities and maybe doctor's offices as well. <laughs> we uh, agree. It's, it's actually critical race theory. We want it in all the schools. No. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> it's the law, actually. Um, and so I, I would love to kind of just go through some of the topics that you cover so brilliantly in this mm. podcast and then kind of get deeper into the emotional politics of mm. wellness and weight loss and diet culture, etc. Shall we just start with the motherfucking obesity epidemic said in, you know, quotation marks? Uh, we sure can. Uh, I yeah. may kick us off with this one. And then, Mike, I feel like you should kick in with the mortality numbers if you're up for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? you had an episode Always. a couple of days ago that blew my mind. So I would yeah. love to talk to you about this. Yeah. So I will say the obesity epidemic, uh, that sort of phraseology came from um, two sort of places that are one that is not necessarily well-intentioned and one that is, um, which is uh, the the BMI we sort of treat as this sort of hard and fast scientific uh, rule. And uh, it's worth noting that the BMI was never um, intended as a measure of individual health. Uh, Wasn't it, it made was, by a mathematician? It was made by a mathematician slash astronomer from Belgium in the 1800s who based it on military conscripts from France and Scotland in the 1800s. So that's whose body yours is being measured against. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. never been meaningfully tested on communities of color, nor has it been adjusted for communities of color. And over time... Uh, it has um, the goalposts have moved several times on who's considered, quote unquote, overweight or obese. One of the biggest ones of those happened in the late 90s, which is when we start to get this messaging around an obesity epidemic. Right. Mm-hmm. Is we actually changed the standards so that you could go to bed one night. Right. Mm-hmm. And be an overweight or normal weight, quote unquote, person um, and wake up the next morning and be considered medically obese, quote unquote. Um 
So that happened in the late 90s. (laughs) And uh, when we sort of talk about the quote unquote obesity epidemic, that doesn't necessarily get surfaced. We don't necessarily talk about it, but Mm -hmm. you'll see charts that show a big spike in 1998. And you're like, oh man, a bunch of people got real fat in 1998. No, no, (laughs) we just changed the definition. Um, And the other place is that um, a a number of researchers and uh, doctors who were working on um, sort of the health of fat people and sort of quote unquote obesity researchers um, found that uh, folks in the general public and folks in government were frankly too hard on fat people and didn't understand that being fat is largely something that's not in individuals control. Right. So they thought that reframing being fat as a disease would help people understand that it's not necessarily an issue of personal behavior or impulse control or any of that kind of stuff. Um, the challenge is when they redefined obesity as a disease, that also meant that it paved the way to call it an epidemic, um, which is when we got some of our nastiest rhetoric around fat people. Mm -hmm. Um, from there, we got some wild numbers and I'm going to kick it to Mike to talk about the mortality numbers of fat people, which is a truly wild story. Well, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, this is something that frustrates both of us because Mm. neither one of us are all that interested in the individual, in individual's health. We're not the kind of show that tells you the kind of diet you should have or the kind of Mm -hmm. lifestyle that you should have. But if you have a show that is like nice to fat people, the first question that you get is like, well, what about their health? Mm. So about a month ago, we're like, all right, we have to do it. Like we have to do the health episode. The fact is the health impacts of obesity are totally irrelevant because there's no clinically proven way to get people to lose weight. Mm. Like we've had an obesity epidemic for, you know, arguably two to three decades now. No country in the world has ever reduced its obesity rate. No state has reduced its obesity rate. No city has done that. We don't know how to do this. Damn, the master cleanse just looked so hopeful. (laughs) I know that's the thing. Unfortunately, not enough people master cleansing. That is actually the answer. Uh, But we don't, like, it doesn't matter if, if, you know, what the health impacts are because we can't actually fix this, right? But it's like, okay, we have to talk about the health impacts anyway. And then you start looking into it and, you know, all we're really talking about is correlations, right? Fatter people have shorter life expectancies. Like all all of the statistics that you've heard, all of those links are true. Like there is a link between higher weight and shorter lifespan, fine. But then when you start looking at the statistics, the, some of the highest mortality rates are actually in the skinniest people, so if you look at the mortality rates among sort of the, the entire spectrum of weights in America, you find this huge mortality among really, really, really skinny people. And it, it, it's always really interesting to, to watch people's minds start to process that information because they're like, well, why would super duper skinny people be more sick? And there's all these theories about it. It's like skinny people are more likely to be smokers. They Maybe they're wasting away from some sort of disease that ends up killing them shortly afterwards. There's all kinds of theories and everybody can see that like the fact that skinny people are dying younger probably isn't because they're skinny. It's probably because of all kinds of other things that are going on in their life, all these other circumstances. And then you look at the other end of the scale and it's like, oh, well, they all need to lose weight. Yeah. You're like, well, wait a minute. You, you just said the same chart. Mm-hmm. You said on one end of that chart, you think it's probably complicated and we should look into it more. But then on the other end of that chart, you're looking at the same numbers and you're going, oh, these people need to change their weight. One of the statistics that you have says that slightly overweight people are actually less likely to die. In a study, 33,000 deaths of people in the skinniest category versus 26,000 deaths in the obese category. I couldn't... Yes. Be- 
I couldn't believe that considering the the global messaging. I know. I know. That really stunned me. And I'm like, I'm fairly clued up because I'm friends with Aubrey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I just call myself fairly clued up. Um, but uh, that was remarkable to me. And so true what you're saying about the lack of nuance whenever we, we talk about that. It's just blame, shame and kind of demonizing. And what we know about fat folks, in addition to these sort of increased mortality risks, yes, still uh, often lower than people who are in the quote unquote underweight category, is that fat people also contend with uh, doctors who are less likely to give us the same length of office visits as thinner people. They're less likely to run tests. They're less likely to give us treatments other than go away and lose weight and come back when you've lost weight, which means that fat people also postpone health care because every time we go in, for some of us, for me included, um, we just get told to lose weight, which is, again, a thing we don't really know how to deliver on, right? Um, so the idea that that wouldn't have an impact as well on fat folks' mortality is really feels sort of willfully naive to me. Yeah, we, we've we spoken about this before, this kind mm-hmm. of inability to accept, like we're just obsessed with the uh, symptom and never the cause. And we're also, we're determined to be negligent when we look at the emotional experience of a fat person living in this world, specifically in the West, because there are many countries in the world where, I mean, even the country I grew up in, where they told you to eat more because mm-hmm. they people wouldn't want you if you were too thin, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like the kind of opposite end of the spectrum, because then it looks like you're poor, yeah. which is a whole other classist, elitist yeah. uh, nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But um, But over here in particular, the experience of living in a fat body. I have, uh, I have been fat before. I have many friends who are fat or who have been fat, and I have seen a complete disparity in the ways in which they are treated. So, like, just openly, even by motherfucking liberals, even by mm-hmm. people who fight for justice and equality for everyone, those people still have a kind of exception to the rule of everyone deserves complete humanity, like freedom and uh, mm-hmm. bodily autonomy when it comes to fat people. They are one of the groups who I think it still remains open season on. I think that's fair yeah. to say. It also pulls the mask off this whole thing of like, oh, I'm concerned about your health. It's like, okay, do you generally as a universal principle think that when you're concerned about someone's health, the best way to do that is to be really mean to them Mm. and like (laughs) deny them health care? Like, is that typically the way that we deal with people whose health we're concerned about? So even if it was true, like if every single myth that you've ever heard about fat people was 100% true, that's not a reason to be mean to them. And it's not a reason to marginalize them from the healthcare system, which is what's happening. It's also just like so counter, it's so counterintuitive. I mean, who has ever benefited from shame or blame or feeling ostracized and not included? It's if you, you stress people, if you, um, if you lower their quality of life, if you make them feel more depressed, more ostracized, surely that's going to contribute to their health. We know that there's a direct link between emotional well-being and physical well-being. And so if you can consistently from the moment a child is old enough to understand damage their sense of self-esteem damage their sense of belonging um give them mental health issues push them into the shadows like that is surely going to influence their lifespan right well the thing that you always hear whenever you bring this up is you always hear well what about smoking right we shame smokers and like smoking is less acceptable in american society than it used to be which first mm-hmm. of all isn't really true there's actually it's it's a complicated thing and we shamed smokers for a very long time before smoking rates fell and secondly the big 
difference between smoking and obesity is that obesity is not a behavior. Yeah. People mm-hmm. cannot stop being fat the way that they can stop smoking. So once you're shaming somebody, you're like, oh, well, we have to shame them so that they eat better. Well, do you know the diet and exercise and lifestyle of the fat person who's next to you at a restaurant? Do you know that about them? So shut up. You don't like, (laughs) we're Um, using this as a proxy. But Michael, they are MRIs. They're human MRIs. So they do actually know. (laughs) They secretly take your blood as soon as they see you. And they have something in their bag that immediately reads their statistics. So they do actually know exactly what they're talking about. And they're all doctors. Um, I just want you to know that all the people online, they're all specialists. So. They're all the Theranos machines. <laughs> They're what Elizabeth Holmes yeah. said. She had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there was a, a, a statistic. So this is according to the National Institutes of Health. Someone my size, I'm a, a very fat lady, class three obesity, the fattest category. Hello. <laughs> um, uh, someone my size has a 0.8% chance of uh, becoming a sort of quote unquote normal weight or healthy weight person in their lifetime. So less than 1% chance that I will become a thin person in my lifetime. That is regardless of sort of the social treatment that comes along with that. That's regardless of anything else, right? The chances that I will become a thin person are virtually non-existent, but Mm -hmm. that pressure is unceasing partly from healthcare professionals, but mostly socially, right? Like mostly from my friends and family, mostly from strangers I see on the street, mostly from other people at restaurants or movie theaters or airplanes or whatever, who Mm -hmm. just resent the existence of my body and are not particularly interested in the why. Yeah, Yeah, or the how or or any of it, right? I always feel like I'm skating on thin ice whenever I have that conversation. I mean, you and I talked about it on the podcast last Mm. year, but... But uh, we're never trying to be like, oh, you don't understand. It's because it's because they're sick or something. That's not what we're trying to say. You should be whatever size the fuck you want to be. And Mm. if you are comfortable in your body at any size, that is amazing. But also there are literal reasons that transcend, Mm. you know, not it goes beyond health. Sometimes it's a class issue. Sometimes it's a, you know, a monetary Mm. issue or a product of the fact that we have no good nutrition accessible, any kind of affordable cost or polycystic Mm. ovarian syndrome or so many things that go under diagnosed and when it comes to the healthcare system and fat people I mean I have multiple friends who are fat and have had broken bones that have not been x-rayed because they have been blamed that their weight is causing too much pressure on their joints and that must be what's hurting so then they don't heal properly and uh, and you and I also had the conversation last time you were on about the fact that you and I are different sizes but I am way unhealthier than you <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> gonna die before you oh, Aubrey. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> and no one is policing me well it's also it's so frustrating because for so long now we've sacrificed health to focus on weight Right. Like we do have problems in America with like people not getting enough fruits and vegetables, people not getting good school lunches, people not being able to walk and bike to school. Like there's actual things that we can do, but you can actually have all of those conversations without weight in them at all. Like if there's mothers who are struggling to feed their kids home cooked meals, there's there's things we can do about that. Like it would be great if we could you know, increase food stamps or like get rid of food stamps and just give people like a ton of money <laughs> so that they can afford all the food that they need and like school yeah. supplies. There's all kinds of stuff that we can actually do if we were concerned about the things that we say are like underneath 
fatness, right? Like, oh, you're fat because you like eat badly and you don't exercise enough. It's like, well, let's just skip the proxy indicator, this in-between thing of weight, and let's just go straight to like what people are eating and how much exercise they're getting and like help them do that if they want to do that. And fucking like how many antibiotics are in the fucking meat and in the Mm. water, which is fucking with people's hormones or how much corn syrup is like pumped into, you have to buy sugar-free bread in America. (laughs) I have never (laughs) heard of that before. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like like it's, I mean, we know what sugar can do, fuck your weight. Like we know what sugar can do to your health and the fact that like cancer can, you know, be more likely to be harmful if you have lots of sugar in your diet, etc. Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we deal with the fact that vegetables are so fucking expensive? Fruit is so mm. expensive in this country. Yeah. Well, and on top of all of that, we also still have a significant problem in this country with hunger, right? So yeah. we're all focused on like, you're eating too much or you're eating the wrong things. And there mm-hmm. are whole communities where folks are do not have food stability. I mean, I think there's uh, quite a bit of information sharing coming from uh, indigenous folks on reservations, uh, sovereign nations, uh, sort of within the U.S., the borders of the U.S., um, about food insecurity there, right? Mm-hmm. That like, um, there is, there is quite a bit going on, uh, in, poor communities in communities of color sort of across the board that have to do with inaccessibility of food and like unstable access to food period right like not knowing where your next exactly and we don't talk about the fact that anorexia is i think the leading cause of death in any mental health issue we just don't talk about that as a mental health it's its its own epidemic now why are we ignoring the people who are being starved by their government why are we ignoring (sighs) the people who are starving themselves why are we just not talking about that, dealing with that, like raising the alarm on that. Why do we zone in on fat people? Uh, I would say there's quite a bit of scholarship, um, particularly there's a um, sociology professor uh, named Sabrina Strings who wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body, who has done this incredible sort of um, deep dive into the history of how racism links up to our anti-fatness and the ways that we view fat folks, right? That um, following the end of slavery, white folks were essentially looking for ways to reassert our natural dominance, quote unquote, when we um, could no longer own black people, neat. Um, And one of the ways that we did that was by continuing to sort of exotify and other black bodies, which were fatter than white bodies at this point, right? Um, There is a very, very intense history there about... um, Deshaun Harrison has also written about this in their book, The Belly of the Beast, um, which is sort of the uh, about anti-fatness and anti-blackness, um, that um, their argument in that book is essentially that health was constructed in such a way that black folks could not be considered healthy, right? Um, that sort of the ways that we feel about fat folks now are um, a displacement, a number of scholars have, organ- uh, have argued, are a displacement of our feelings about um, black folks and poor folks in particular, that um, we are sort of no longer in a place societally where you can quite as boldly say uh, in polite white company, right, um, that you just hate black people, but you can say, I'm concerned about fat people's health, right, that that has become sort of a proxy for um, uh, for how we talk about black folks and poor folks in particular, It's rough, man. It's also, I mean, I think all of that happens in parallel, too, with this rise of personal responsibility 
narratives that I think, I think there's a really interesting parallel with COVID that we've had all of this, you know, we've had all this stuff about masks and we, you know, we've had this push for personal responsibility over the last 18 months, but then we haven't had as much talk about like ventilation systems, like Mm -hmm. kids in schools, like need ventilation. Like it's actually really important for the spread of COVID to not have like the same air circulating around. But then that has kind of been marginalized compared to this personal responsibility stuff about masks and social distancing and all this individual stuff that we're all supposed to be doing. And I think it's the same sort of structure where it's like to talk about ventilation, you really have to talk about institutions of power. You have to talk about much larger structural systems that should be funding that thing. Like that's something that's actually hard to do and it costs money. And so we have the same thing with obesity where it's like, we have a food system that doesn't really work for anybody, but fixing that requires like rewriting the farm bill and <laughs> subsidies and redesigning our cities. And people might have to sacrifice something, right? We might have to take away some space for cars and build a park in a neighborhood so kids can walk to school. That might actually require some sacrifices. But what doesn't require any sacrifice is to just say like, oh, well, fat people need to stop eating so much. That's easy. You've you've created a outgroup and then you push all of the responsibility for this onto that outgroup. And there's something very like human and comforting about that of the like, ah, it's not really a problem that people in power have to solve. It's the problem of those people themselves. And like, why can't they just spontaneously change when we're not actually, we don't really need to make it any easier for them. Right. It feels like actually like one of the more acute, like just to link up the two very things that you were talking about, it feels like, um, Actually, talking about Boris Johnson's response to getting COVID feels like a really good example of that, right? That was so dark. Oh. It was so dark. That the response to the prime minister uh, <laughs> of getting COVID was to say, actually, I just got it because I was fat and everybody needs to lose weight. And now I'm launching this anti-obesity campaign oh rather God, than saying... Such a clown. We're going to have a mask mandate or we're going to you know I mean? like rather than like doing things that concretely and in the short term stop the spread of covid. The response was actually fat people need to lose weight. And that's the reason that all of this there must is just be no fat people in New Zealand. That's why they had so much success. It wasn't anything <laughs> to do with lockdowns, restrictions, care, no, a brilliant no, leader. No, no. So it's just everyone's super skinny. Yeah. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Am I too tin hat here? <laughs> Mm. Aubrey, I consider you my voice of reason. In particular, Michael, I feel like we're getting there now that we're getting to know each other. Um, is it, could it be, I like to try and bring this up at least once a month, could it be a conspiracy? Could this be a deliberate money grab from Big Pharma, from weight loss companies, from, um, I don't know, like I'm not going to say the government because I'm brown and they'll kick me out. Um, but um, <laughs> is, is there a financial gain for the medical care system if lots of people are not guided towards a healthier life if they're not afforded more, um, I don't know, like a better standard of healthcare, better standard of nutrition in schools, like um, more access to parks or exercise or gym or fucking clothes that you can exercise in if you're over a size two and you don't want to shop at Lululemon. Like, do, is there a financial gain for corrupt systems for lots of people to be um, bigger, especially when it comes to the diet industry, the multi-multi-billion dollar diet industry, now that we know that I think roughly 5% of diets ever succeed, is it beneficial to them for people to never be guided or helped or if anything like deterred from actually losing weight without these capitalist um, structures preying on them? Yeah, I mean, so we talked about this a, a little bit in our episode about the BMI, and I want to be like very, I feel you on tinfoil hat. Yeah. <laughs> I have been very tinfoil hat about mm -hmm. all of this. Um, so I want to be like careful about the way that I talk about it, but it is worth noting. So in the late 90s, when we did have that change in the BMI, um, that that came first from the World Health Organization and uh, staff at the World Health Organization told the British Medical Journal um, that that change had been funded and that sort of work group had been funded largely by uh, drug companies and that those drug companies had weight loss drugs that were pending approval in the U.S., which is the biggest one of the biggest weight loss markets in the world. Mm. Um, and if those standards were lowered, presumably they would have a bunch of new customers, right, for their product, right? And they could say there's an epidemic happening here that needs 
you know, you've got to rush solutions. You've got to get these weight loss drugs or surgeries or whatever diets out to people who need them. Right. That if this became defined as a medical problem, then there would have to be a medical solution. And who better to deliver a medical solution than drug companies? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely a link there. I'll I'll leave it to folks to make of that it's what they will. It's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. I'm sure it's a capitalist <laughs> coincidence. But it is, I mean, it is worth noting that there are, like, there is quite a bit of money being made off of the weight loss industry, right? Like, we all know this. Whether it calls itself the diet industry or it calls itself the wellness industry or it calls itself, in the case of a number of diets now, just like, we're not a diet. We're the calorie restriction that's not a diet. Like, or we're a lifestyle yeah. or we're a yeah. lifestyle or it's a cleanse or Keto it's a detox class. yeah whatever yeah. right like mm-hmm. whatever it calls itself uh people are making a lot of money off of those things yeah. people are making a lot of money off of those things i okay to represent the slightly less tinfoil the, the paper <laughs> the baking yeah, fine, Michael, be boring and bring the I, okay i actually I don't think that there's any deliberate conspiracy, but I also think that that's worse potentially Mm -hmm. because the idea that there's some sort of shadowy cabal or that all of this is in some way deliberate, I think is somehow comforting because there's like this evil that we can vanquish, right? You find out the people that are organizing all of this and then you get rid of them. Mm -hmm. I think that the much scarier scenario and the one that I find convincing is that like there's just bias. It's just seeping in. There's all these little cracks in medicine. There's cracks in publication at academic journals. There's cracks at the WHO. All of these institutions of public health There's bias in those institutions. And what you find is just little cutting of corners. And let's move a little bit faster to push these things, you know, a weight loss drug onto the market. Like, this is an emergency, obesity epidemic. You don't think it's fucking weird that it happens around the same time as the numbers being lowered? That's this thing. I, I I think with that specific scenario, I think like the fact that there's like corporate funding of this is like very well established. And the links between Pharmaceutical, especially pharmaceutical companies and also weight loss companies and these institutions are extremely open. Like no one is hiding this stuff. It is everywhere. But I also think that this problem goes deeper than that, right? It goes deeper than WHO. I don't think individual doctors are being given like, you know, checks in the mail to be really fat phobic to their patients. I think Mm -hmm. like this goes so deep into the systems of public health and the systems of individual medicine that there has to be something even bigger, like a bigger iceberg behind it, that it's just people are biased against fat people. And that mm-hmm. makes you shut down your critical faculties of like, what do I need less evidence to believe, right? What what am I willing to go faster on if I think, oh, it's a public health emergency. So I don't really need to double check these figures as much. I don't need to double check the methodology of the study. It's really important for me to put out the message that like fat people are way more likely to die. And like, I'm just not going to subject that to as much scrutiny. Okay. So I think that like, yeah, that I think that the nefarious stuff is happening. Yeah. But I also think that there's much more like kind of benign stuff happening too. Okay, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe the nefarious wink, wink coincidence stuff is happening, but it's being upheld and allowed because of the deep rooted racism rooted anti-fat bias that exists in people, in doctors, in, um, in, in, in the kind of entire system. 
especially over in the West, massively in America. Um, I think maybe that could also be possible because something doesn't fucking add up here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, oh, I yeah. remain, I remain mm-hmm. skeptical, but I do, I think, I think I, I think I will accept both answers. Yeah. Well, I also <laughs> think like the hard thing about the aspect of this that Mike is talking about, which I think is spot on, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that we have uh, all been exposed. I will say for my entire life, um, the messages about people who look like me have been, they're an epidemic. We're having a war on obesity, right? That we are sort of like enemy combatants, right? (laughs) Which is a really, really strange way to feel. But for the 38 years that I've been alive, that's how we talk about fat people. The idea that the rest of us would not absorb that and passively sort of take that in and reproduce it is bananas and very um, uh, hard to face, right? Like it's hard to face that about ourselves. This is what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, that it can be very, very unconscious. Totally. You can really think you're on the right side and you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think I would say a good example of that is, Jamila, you were talking about um, friends who are afraid to go to the gym because of how they'll be treated um, as fat folks at the gym. Um, I will say when I have gone to gyms, I don't do that anymore. I just have like exercise equipment at my house. Thanks. That's what I'll be doing. Um, (laughs) Not because of leering and staring and photographs although all of those things have happened to me in gyms right that people have like been taking my picture or staring at me or saying gross things or whatever but the the significantly larger problem has been people who think they're doing the right thing who come by and go good for you stick with it you'll get there right (laughs) so like people who didn't that happen to you on a walk where you were just walking god you were just going for a walk you're walking your dog and you happen to be wearing like sort of gym leggings and someone like leaned out of their car and encouraged you about how You know, you can do it. (laughs) You can do it. Totally. Which I think the presumption there is I'm a fat person. I'm outside of my house. So I must be trying to lose weight. Right? Like was sort of the the presumption that was happening there. And I think outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, Ring the alarm. I'm outside. Everybody gather. Um, And I think what folks don't realize is whether you're saying that with disapproval or with approval, either way, it is inviting comment on my body. It is shining a spotlight on a fat Mm. person and it is inviting total strangers to reveal their judgments about my size. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that story you told, I think the last time you were on the podcast about the woman who just went into your shopping trolley when you were at the supermarket and took Mm. something. I think it was fruit. It was (laughs) a melon. It took melon, like a very low (laughs) sugar fruit, took it out of your cart. I mean, I hear stories like that all the time of people just taking potato chips or anything that they feel like, like at staging an intervention, like a sort of citizen's arrest of your Mm -hmm. diet is fucking out of control. I, okay. We're, you know how we're in this thing now where people will ask you to make like a charitable donation instead of giving them a birthday gift or whatever, like give 50 bucks to this charity. I think we should do something like this, like a swap for New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. So instead of making a New Year's resolution this year to lose 10 pounds or something, just resolve to like never do that to a fat person. (laughs) Just don't, don't be a dick. Like maybe ignore your weight this year and just like be super chill about other people's weight. I think that would be a great like resolution swap. 
Yeah, your resolution is I'm not going to say anything about what anyone else is eating. Yeah, look at that. I just don't no no eating talk, no weight talk. Just <laughs> don't do it all year. Whatever happens with your weight, whatever. <laughs> just don't comment on other people's weight this year. And I think like it's important to point out that in both of your work, you are not telling people what size to be or how mm. to be that. You know, Michael, you touched on that at the top of this episode that you're like you guys are not in, interested in like how individuals manage their own you know lives or or bodies. That's up to them. Um, but what you are doing is making sure that what people are not falling victim to are all of the lies that make a very small subsect of our society a lot of money and because it is the top of the year because all we're about to fucking hear about is we're out of a pandemic you got to lose all that pandemic weight okay it's the mm. top of the year you got to lose the christmas weight got to lose the thanksgiving weight remember in six months you're gonna have to go to a beach and you don't want to be fat <laughs> we are amidst the top of the year onslaught this is why I need you. This is why I needed you here because I need you to to roll through the bullshit of these diets. You're not telling mm. people how to live, but you are at least telling them what lies not to buy into. And you have done such extensive, thorough research. I think I think keto, while it's definitely kind of on its way out, mm. um, because you know, it's not sustainable and no one has taken a shit for a year because um, <laughs> it's very constipating. Um, I uh, I would like to talk to you a little bit about some of these diets and, and also the cycle of dieting about like how you can kind of trend forecast what diets are coming next because it's just all such bullshit, just repackaged, repurposed bullshit. Um, keto what- diet, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so lightning round keto okay please someone might be considering it or starting it right now yeah um so the keto diet um i will say it started out as an evidence-based treatment for uh kids with epilepsy before we mm. had anti-convulsant medications um the reason that it became a weight loss diet largely uh comes down to joe rogan and tim ferris a couple of podcast bros <laughs> um, who started talking about this as a uh, as a method of weight loss um and uh Keto is essentially a more restrictive version of Atkins or South Beach or all of the low carb diets we've seen since forever. I mean, the other sort of category of diets as keto and paleo are sort of potentially on their way out. um, I think what we're likely to see is the other category of weight loss diets, which is low fat and low calorie. Um, So I would just be prepared for sort of an onslaught of uh, of that in the coming months and years that we'll get something like i mean i think noom is a great example of something that's doing that now i don't know what noom is oh buddy first of all congratulations on whatever your advertising algorithm is on your computer (laughs) you've escaped yeah it is it's all dogs for me it's just all dogs and cats (laughs) like it's it's actually maybe it's embarrassing um but go on noom is a uh weight loss diet that very proudly bills itself as not a diet it's uh its default appears to be that it sets folks on a 1200 calorie a day diet um which Mm -hmm. is about what a toddler needs 
um, <laughs> to survive, right? Not an Pretty adult. Pretty sure a toddler human. needs like eighteen hundred. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. you're right. You're right. <laughs> you you're right. You're right. It's less than a toddler needs. Yeah, but, yeah. great. It's New Year's resolution season, though. Those two year olds need to shape up. Yeah, two hundred oh, yeah, calories absolutely. is for the like. Well, they're very causing thin. the COVID <laughs> pandemic. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> fat toddlers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's lazy. They're lazy. Go so <laughs> Noom says that it sort of combines psychology with uh, sort of new practices to help folks lose weight, quote unquote. Um, quite a bit of the psychology is these sort of quizzes um, on sort of like, oh, did you know if you eat off smaller plates, you'll gain less weight or you'll start to lose weight. You'll eat less food and you'll lose weight. Um, quite a bit of that research has been discredited. Um, it's from a, a researcher who um, was messing around with his data so much that it became sort of useless. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see quite a bit more of Noom, right? This sort of app-based thing that's like, we're not a diet, but it's like straightforward calorie restriction, right? We'll see quite a bit. We're not a diet, we're an eating disorder. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you just wrote slogan a slogan, should but be. Yeah. I feel like you just wrote yeah. a slogan, yeah. <laughs> just like, I mean, that was, that robbed me of like 20 years of my life, calorie counting, obsessing over food, planning, food planning, uh, not in a kind of like, how can I make sure I get loads of nutrition this week and, and eat my greens, but uh, really just like living meal to meal and being terrified of meal to meal. And if I go out to this restaurant tonight, then I'll have to start myself for three days. Like just, oh my God, to yeah. introduce this like willingly into people's lives. I understand that there is a, a hope for people to kind of, I don't know, have a bit more guidance. But couldn't we start that in the fucking schools? Yeah. And couldn't that guidance be just more around like the mental health benefits of exercise and generally like how to eat foods that make you feel really energetic and make you sleep well and feel happy and they don't yeah. like upset your stomach. Like the, the the most sickening part to me of diet culture is how much of it is quick fix, how much of it is, is treating mm. fat like an emergency. Like this is an emergency. We've got no time. You need to lose 21 pounds in two weeks. You need to do the master cleanse. And this is what Beyonce looked like before. And then afterwards at the end of that 21 days or whatever, um, it's all how fast can we get this off us and I think that that is part of why they don't work it's part of why they cause I mean they send so many people into the spiral of an eating disorder because it is not treated as they say it's a lifestyle it's not it is such an abuse because they know they have top scientists working on these diets. They know these diets are going to fail. We have hard evidence these diets are going to fail and they kind of want them to fail so that you'll have to fall off the wagon and then your metabolism may even be slower than it was before and then you have to do it all over again. Mm. They rely as a business model on you having to continuously come back to the diet. You have to buy the second book, the third book, the fourth book of the same fucking subject because yeah. they know you're not going to be able to maintain it. It's designed to fail. I mean, I think very often about an article about Dr. Oz that I read while I was researching the episode on him that we did written by a doctor. And what he said was that there's actually very little that you can say to the population as a whole, right? The 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 things that we know about nutrition and health are really basic and you know them already. Try to eat fruits and vegetables, try to move every day, mm-hmm. wear sunscreen, brush your teeth. Drink water, it's just like yeah. really, yeah, it's super boring stuff that we've all heard a million times. And, and everything else is going to depend on you as an individual. So every year we have a new superfood and you're supposed to eat kale this year, blueberries or whatever. And like, maybe you don't like kale or maybe you can't afford it. 
or maybe mm-hmm. it's not part of like a cultural cuisine that you know how to cook or want to cook. And so kale is not really going to work for you. And that's totally kale fine. Kale makes me windy. But it's <laughs> the thing is, like, makes me windy. maybe you're not. I, you I, I, I have a chip on my shoulder about this because I, I, <laughs> I hate kale and I'm really tired of being told that that's I should awful. eat kale all the time. It's awful. But like, I really love sweet potatoes and I don't tell other people to eat sweet potatoes. Like that's something that works with my lifestyle. Like I love roasting sweet potatoes. It's an easy weeknight meal for me. But like, I don't go around evangelizing about that because other people that doesn't work for them Mm. and so there's really like only five things that are actually true and that are universal to everybody but the problem is you can't sell books saying brush your teeth and get eight hours of sleep a night and drink water you can't you can't sell products that way we we have to go through this cycle every year of like oh it's goji berries or like (laughs) it's some new it's it's quinoa or like god we've done this so many times and there's there's these studies that come out right that are like oh a a cup of coffee every morning reduces your risk of prostate cancer but oh a cup of coffee every morning increases your risk of glaucoma like linking a specific food to a specific outcome which again these are all averages and these are at the population level so it's not actually useful for you as an individual and like i wish they would just stop publishing these stories in like normal newspapers because they're not useful for anybody but it's like we trick ourselves into thinking that this new thing is going to be different from all the last things and it never it never turns out to be true and that's sucky advice but it's like it's the only advice that anyone can actually give with any kind of credibility yeah it's a money grab and i also just want to like you know, when I was talking earlier about the fact that Aubrey and I, for example, like one of our mm. first times we went out for lunch, we talked about like the kind of differences in our sizes, but the fact that my health is much worse, a big part of why my health is worse than most of the people I know, regardless of their size, regardless of their age, is because of what I did to myself because of diet culture. Mm. I fucked up my digestive system. I fucked mm. up my kidneys. I fucked up my liver all with diet products. Um, my bones are brittle because I didn't eat enough. I didn't get enough cheese because I was told I was, you know, raised in the kind of low fat, no dairy, mm. uh, mm. or whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be dairy, but like, you know, like that was as a kid, what we were given. I was avoiding that when my fucking bones were forming, you know, yeah. like I wasn't, I was avoiding uh, vegetables because I was told that they were a carb. Like I don't, I'm devoid of like, I'm devoid of nutrition. Like I've had to spend the last like seven years or five years, maybe even um, trying to like re-educate myself and fill my body with stuff that isn't going to kill me. I mean, those diet products, what they did to yeah. me, I like, I'll, I'll never, ever, ever be well because of the diet industry. It made me sicker when it told me it was trying to make me well. And also because you lived a childhood and adolescence without cheese, which is delicious. You deserved a cheese-filled <laughs> childhood. Uh, <laughs> reparations. <laughs> Come on back with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. But like having no fats, like my hair falling out, like yeah. the, my, my, my fucking low iron, because I wasn't eating like I just no yeah. energy did no exercise because I didn't have energy to exercise and I was so traumatized about exercise because of yeah. the exercise for weight yeah. loss industry like I, that's not been good for my joints like yeah. it's just I, I've only been I'd say fucked by yeah. the diet industry it's been the it's been the number one worst thing that ever happened to my health not to mention my mental health and how mad I was for 20 years yeah it's it's really a it's really terrible that that has all happened to you as a result of stuff that didn't need to happen right like just didn't need to happen um and it's really fucking sad if you'll excuse my language um (laughs) 
how uh, common a story that is, mm. right? Like how many folks yeah. sort of started dieting, thought they were doing the right thing for their health and like got a couple months or a couple years in and realized that they were restricting really heavily or they had developed disordered eating or they were binging and purging or whatever else. Mm. I mean, I think one of the things that's happening now that Mike and I talk about a fair amount and you and I have talked about as well is um, that the diet industry is, as we said earlier, sort of changing its clothes and being like, no, surprise, now we're about wellness. As the diet industry moves further and further into this sort of quote unquote wellness world and we're talking more and more about superfoods, which, by the way, not a thing. Superfood, a marketing term. All foods have nutritional value. That's yeah, why we eat them. That's why they're food. Right? Like, they're all super. They're every, all Every super. food is super. It's fine. Kale yeah. is just as good for you as Swiss chard or collard greens. Look at that. Right? Like it's yeah. there's nothing about it that's like extra special fancy. But yeah. part of what's happening as we move further and further into wellness world is there is an emergence of uh, a new uh, or sort of newer defined eating disorder, which is orthorexia. I'm sure you all have talked about this on yeah. the show. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just the idea that you have to eat rather than not eat, eating as little as possible, which is sort of associated with anorexia or purging, which is associated with bulimia or binging, which is associated with binge eating disorder. Um, orthorexia is about eating the quote unquote right foods. So you might get hung up on every single thing I eat needs to be organic and non-GMO, or you might get hung up on, I have a small list of foods that I'm able to eat from that I feel comfortable yeah. eating from, right? Um, those are all uh, you know, also disordered eating behaviors. And we're now sort of having to play catch up a little bit with getting folks on board with like, that's also disordered eating. I know you're getting social approval for doing it. I know it feels like you're doing the right thing. That can also be disordered eating. Yeah, I guess I get shit sometimes online because I mean, for many reasons, but um, mm. one of the many reasons is that uh, I'm not completely plant based. I'm mostly plant based on my diet. And people mm. say that if I'm not completely plant based, I can't be a feminist because cows Ooh. and goats uh -oh. and shit because it's you know the um the oh. uh, female um and oh, so man. uh the thing is guys um is that i can't participate in any kind of restrictive eating i do my best to be as helpful for the environment as i can with my diet putting less farts less methane into that world um but i uh but I can't do restrictive eating. And if you are out yeah. there and you think you have a tendency towards orthorexia, uh, I'm just, many people can be plant-based and be absolutely fine with that. And that's great. Yeah. But I'm just saying that some people, especially if you have a history of an eating disorder, orthorexia, and you feel like you can't completely commit to any type of restrictive lifestyle when it comes to diet, that's okay. I just want to make sure that I can say that, that like, you're still a feminist. <laughs> so it's all right. Um, but th this shit can be a slippery slope sometimes i gotta uh i got a hand in my feminist card after this because of my cheese position yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah. whoops i'm out everybody i can't believe Canceled. you're a men's rights yeah. activist oh, so God disappointing. basically an incel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i mean i also this is another thing that we come back to on the show a lot is that like i i have friends who are doing the keto diet my mom is on a low carb diet and that's worked for her for more than a decade now mm -hmm. and she's really happy with it and like i don't 
lecture other people on their diets. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is like, it's fine to experiment with what works for you. It's fine to try to find foods that affect your energy levels, affect whatever goal you have. This really isn't something that like me and Aubrey are interested in adjudicating for other people. Mm. And honestly, even these fad diets, we don't go around scolding people or shaming people. If I'm at a dinner party and somebody is sitting next to me and they say like, oh, I just started a cleanse. I'll be like, oh, how is it so far? Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to do my like debunking podcaster thing with them <laughs> because I'm having a human interaction. <laughs> like it's not the whole thing is like finding something that works for other people and also focusing on systems that we have like food systems that are not delivering nutritious food to people at a price that they can afford. And it, it, whatever choice you want to make in your life, that's actually fine. Like I, I just don't care <laughs> yeah. for most yeah. of these things. It's like we we have a really broken public health system that is laser focused on weight, despite decades of data that it's not working and it's making people, like you said, Jamila, like sicker and unhappier. Yeah. And it's we're doing the same thing as a as a system that people are doing on these fad diets. We're like, oh, maybe this new thing will help. Maybe maybe this one will be different. And then we try the same thing we've already tried. Yeah. So it's like this is where we want to push people's focus that like if if you were about to comment on an Instagram post by a celebrity about how like their diet isn't chill like maybe maybe like write to your senator or something like <laughs> funnel that information yeah. <laughs> take that effort and put it elsewhere like my the biggest thing for us is just like it's it's really none of your business and it's not that interesting like how yeah. other people are eating or how other people's bodies are just like chill out and try to be nice to people. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have to say anything. If someone says that they're doing a cleanse or a diet and then they suddenly whip around, look to me, they go, I know, I weigh, I weigh, I weigh. <laughs> <laughs> I have that problem too. I don't yeah. even like, people just presume and like I often don't because like I said, it does go both ways. You've got to just kind of let people live. Like, you don't want to police people on their diets, like yeah. whether it's too little, too much. You just have to hope that you're, you yourself as an individual especially with the platform we're putting out as much advice as possible I mean you guys told me that uh on your kind of roundup of 2021 mm. my advice that was simply publicly don't take diet advice from celebrities <laughs> yeah <laughs> was, I love it <laughs> was yeah. advice that was well received by your listeners um yeah I uh I yeah. think it's important just to just just to fuck off you know yeah totally totally and yeah. I think most of us don't even necessarily realize when we're taking diet advice from celebrities right like so we talked earlier about the master cleanse the repopularization of the master cleanse which was from like the 40s from way back was beyonce said she did it on oprah and a bunch of people started doing it uh because beyonce said on oprah that she had done the master cleanse before uh dream girls right mm -hmm. that and then it sort of gained a life of its own whether or not you saw that oprah episode you knew people who were on the on the master cleanse i sure did who were not oprah viewers who were not beyonce super fans at that point whatever yeah. right that part of the way that all of this happens is a handful of people take diet advice from celebrities and then it sort of catches on right keto is another great example right like joe rogan tim ferris there you go those are your diet guys, right? <laughs> like um, mm. that, like we don't necessarily realize that our sources for this kind of stuff uh, are maybe not the greatest. I mean, I think one of my personal favorites is um, the medical medium. Who's mm -hmm. the, the guy who popularized celery juice and did so because he said he was um, uh, sort of in conversation with a spirit from the future 
who was giving mm-hmm. him information about health and wellness information sort of from the future that we hadn't discovered yet. So scientists now would not be able to confirm what he had heard from this spirit. But you got to know <laughs> celery juice will cure whatever ails you. Right. Like trust I, me, guys. <laughs> yeah. And, no, trust the spirits. Trust the future. Yeah. And a bunch of the people who drink celery juice now believe that that came from a doctor or a healthcare provider or someone other than like future ghost, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and just didn't, right? Like, don't actually know sort of the provenance of the the health and wellness practices that they're engaging in. This also gets at, I think, the media laundering of these fads, too, that I think where we are comfortable scolding people is oftentimes writers for these magazines that will do a profile of, like, the cool young influencer who's selling you this new cleanse, mm. and they don't do any historical putting it into place that there's only like five diets and they all just cycle through each other and whatever whatever thing yeah, we're doing man. now we've done Atkins, uh, like 10 and 30 Dukan, and 50 keto like yeah. all these they're the same premise exactly and they just we just cycle through the same diets and then also there you know there's always these anecdotes of people that lose a bunch of weight which every single diet will produce pretty significant weight loss if, if you can stay on it for the first 6 weeks that's everything. That's like you can eat foods that only begin with vowels and you can probably <laughs> lose weight for six weeks because anything restrictive will produce short term weight loss. And then no one can stick with it because we are human beings and our bodies adjust and then we gain all the weight back. So it's like, what's the point of these articles? Every year we get a thousand of these articles and it's like, OK, come back to me, Mr. Influencer, in two years when there's a real study yeah. of whatever product you're selling and it has actual results. Until then. I am not going to write about it. Like, I wish that they would take some responsibility for this and just be like, there's no real evidence that this works. Mm -hmm. And like, some of these things are harmful. Some of them are pretty benign. But it's like, just stop writing about this stuff. Stop stop hyping it up as if it's new. Right. But then also, you can't really trust most publications because the vast majority of money in the dying publishing industry comes from the diet industry. So Mm -hmm. the adverts, if you look on, if you like scroll down to the bottom of the page, the adverts are from dieting companies like often they are being like paid to write about this sort of stuff to perpetuate the culture of you know you see all the time in fashion magazines and you know since fashion magazines began like on one page they show you a very thin body and on the next page they they sell you a weight loss you know quote-unquote remedy and so it's also like the reason that journalism now kind of when it comes to weight uh, weight loss and all that sort of stuff when they cover fads you should be very very dubious and you should do due diligence to find out who their sponsors are and what adverts are on that page because people's paychecks are coming this is why we've had the rise of clickbait culture like there's a there's uh yeah there's less integrity i'm not trying to donald trump this and be like Mm. fake news media but also (laughs) like definitely the media is is bought a lot of the times especially in the kind of like wellness space yeah and you got to produce, you got to produce stories. I mean, I have friends in journalism that have to write three posts a day and that's their quota every single day. And so if you're writing three posts a day, you just simply, you're not able to do the amount of research that you would have to do to produce good journalism. So it's not really individual journalist fault necessarily, but it's always the incentives 
of the industry, right? Again, I don't think there's a tinfoil hat thing. Yeah. I think it's just like a lot of people are overworked and have to produce something. And you're like, oh, there's some new diet. God, I'll just write about this because I don't know what else to write about three times today. Mm-hmm. So I think it is like everything is baked in throughout all of these industries of just like a lot of these journalists are smart enough to know that these are kind of cranks, but they're like, ah, these these things get clicks. Like it, we have to do this. <laughs> and if I don't get clicks and I don't produce, then I get fired. Right. Like, yeah, that, exactly. so that's like also part of a systemic problem that we've got yeah. going on here. Right. <laughs> like, whoa. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So we've touched every corner of this shit show, right? Of the <laughs> diet culture, the history of the diet culture, the history of the BMI, um, the corruption, the weird coincidences. Um, we are we are now coming to the end of this interview. We are at the mm-hmm. top of another year, which is just a new weight loss opportunity for capitalism. Yeah. What do you most want my listeners to know? Like every, you've learned so much over the last two years as we go into another year where everyone's being bombarded with bullshit messaging. I would just underscore something that Michael said earlier, which is we do not know scientifically, nobody on this planet knows how to make most people lose weight in the long term. We've found some little pockets of things that work for some people sometimes, but for the most part, and certainly at a population level, we do not know how to make fat people thin. So I would just start from the place that like people who have spent their whole lives researching this, fat people who've lived their whole lives as fat people and who've tried every diet, we all know, right, that weight loss is not an easy thing. But not only that, scientifically, in terms of the data, it's generally not a possible thing for most of us currently. So I would just like mm-hmm. start from the place of whatever diet you are being sold is probably lying to you if they say we can definitely produce these results in you and anybody who tries this diet in the short term. They yeah. probably can in the long term. They almost definitely can. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say the the biggest thing for me is just showing kindness to other people and showing mm-hmm. kindness to yourself That, I mean, something Aubrey said in one of our recent episodes is like, if you've fallen for one of these diets or you've fallen for one of these fads, whatever. So have I, honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all of us, we've all fallen for scams in our lives. It's fine. And also the sort of the cycle of losing weight and regaining weight, there's so much psychological damage that happens in that Mm -hmm. cycle that, you know, your body is screaming at you to eat if you've been restricting yourself for a really long time. And it's so important to just like forgive yourself. And like, sometimes you aren't on your whatever plan that you made. Sometimes you do something that you didn't intend to food wise and everybody does that. And it's totally fine. And if, 
people are in a sort of resolution making mood. I think the thing is just like try to be as forgiving and graceful to yourself and show that forgiveness and grace to other people. Yeah. If you set a resolution to hold your breath all year and then you started breathing, you wouldn't beat yourself up (laughs) for starting to breathe, right? (laughs) If you set a resolution that was like, I'm not going to go to the bathroom all year and then you like caved in on day two and went to the bathroom, right? Like you wouldn't beat yourself up for that either. These are all biological imperatives. You have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to breathe, right? Like those are not your fault for doing those things. Those are not failings of your character character uh those are things you got to do to stay alive so stay alive please that's absolutely stay alive please and make more choices for your happiness please like if you're going to exercise do it for the literal proven definite mental Mm -hmm. health benefits Mm -hmm. of exercising eat the food that makes you feel good afterwards it makes you feel full doesn't make you feel super gassy if gassiness is something that you or your cat or dog do not enjoy living with um no but seriously like i just or maybe you're into it yeah exactly you know what yeah what we say here somebody's into everything it's a vibe it's It's a vibe um but i um but no seriously i really just want you to I really just want you to be happy and I really want you to be okay this year mm-hmm. and no extreme of anything, regardless of which way is going to make you anything other than obsessive and sad and maybe a bit boring and a bit mm-hmm. bored. And so please just do everything in moderation. Nothing is an emergency and be very, very careful to consider your sources when you receive information on drastic changes to your health. And listen to the Maintenance Phase pod so that you can have all of the facts and the history that you need to be armed with in order to go forward and make these decisions as consciously as possible. Before you both go, will you each tell me what do you weigh? Aubrey, I'll start with you. Uh, I would say that I try to measure myself by my impacts on the movements that I engage with and my impacts on the people that I love. That's what I would say. Those are the things that matter most to me in this world. Mm-hmm. How about you, The real Mike? things, yes. Yeah. Um, mostly how much have I yelled at Dr. Oz on the internet? <laughs> yes. How how much reply guyness have I done to Mr. Oz? Wait, wasn't he in the news That's... because he's about to try and do something big? Yeah, he's running for the only advice... This is the the only advice we'll give to our listeners: like, don't vote for Doctor Oz. Oh, please, dear God! Yeah, he wants to. He wants to be a senator who's going to stand up to the Washington establishment and big tech. What? The Fine, fuck? Speaking of promises, people make over and over again that never come true. I mean, my God. Yeah, yeah. I would say um, Doctor Oz was hauled in front of Congress for making false claims about miracle cures for weight loss. Um, I would say that. Uh, a, a guy who gets interrogated by Congress should maybe not be a part of Congress. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, maybe, as a rule, maybe as maybe rule. that's maybe that's a thing yeah. we should just lean Fair. out of. Governor. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, well, uh, on that note, goodbye, guys. Thank you so much. Happy Thanks. New Year. And um, and please come back again. Absolutely. Love Thank to. you so much for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. 
We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh being talented. I weigh being intelligent and curious and trying to learn more and more about different things every day. I weigh a lot. I weigh a lot of good things. And another thing that I weigh is pride and confidence for the woman that I am and the woman that I'm becoming. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.